Amen. Well, hey, we want to, uh, today, we want to uh, make sure that we honor those who have served, who are serving uh, our country uh, in any way, shape or, or shape or form. We say it, uh, churches all across uh, the country say it every single year at this time, uh, but it needs to be said that what we have here uh, is a privilege that we shouldn't take for granted, that it came through the sacrifice of men and women and so we just want to honor those today. And so I know that uh, several of you here today uh, have served, are serving in several branches of the military. And we just want to honor you today. So Summit, would you just thank those who have served, are serving. And we just want to, uh, want to pause and, and, and remember those who gave their lives for the freedom that we take advantage of today. And so uh, I want to pray uh, this morning, and let's just ask God to speak to us here this morning, to wake us up and to give us energy and to help us to lean in to what I think God might want to do here today. Lord, would you, uh, would you pray with me today? Father, I thank you that you are alive, that, Father, you are the living God who is here, right here, right now in this place. You are, God, in this room with us. And Jesus, your name is great. Your name is powerful. There's no rival. Jesus, you have no equals. Today, you are Lord, and, and God, we praise you today. We love you today. Father, we thank you for the men and women who have given their lives and so many things for the freedoms that we are taking advantage of even at this moment. Jesus, the gospel shows us that freedom doesn't come without cost. And Jesus, thank you that our freedom that we have in you came at the cost of your life. And Jesus, thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy uh, every single day, even right here in this, in this moment, came at the sacrifice of others. And so, Father, I pray uh, for those families today who this, this day uh, just has a lot of significance. This day uh, has a lot of memories. Father, this day is, uh, this time it is hard. God, I pray that you would strengthen them and comfort them. Father, I thank you for uh, people in our church and around the world who have served, who are serving. God, that you would protect them and, and Father, that you would guide them. Father, I thank you that you are here with us today. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would come and that you would speak to us, God, in a very, in a very clear way. God, in a real specific way. We might have came in today thinking about how cold it is. We might have Come in here today and thinking about something that's going on this week, something coming up this week ahead of us, or uh, just something in our lives right now. We're distracted. We're weighed down. We're uh, just we're 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 physically here, but but we're not here. And so Jesus, you're here. Would you just bring us in right here? Would you just bring us into this moment right here? This moment right here where we can meet with you. Bring us in to it in Jesus' name. We ask all these things, and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, uh, today we're doing something different, all right? Today we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, uh, normally, if you come to Summit, um, you know that the way we typically work around here is I usually uh, teach uh, in, in series. We had a series uh, planned out, and we had a series ready to run this morning uh, to start, and I just really felt uh, led by God to just scratch, uh, scrap the whole series. 
And so, uh, because I want to talk to us uh, about what I think uh, is happening right now in our church, some things that are happening in our church, and what it might mean for us moving forward. So, so what that means is this. If some it's your uh, church this morning, uh, I'm glad you're here. If you're visiting, you're you're new, you're kind of kicking uh, the tires, checking it out, you know, just seeing what this church is like, what it's about. If you're visiting today, I'm glad that you're here, uh, but I want you to know uh, today uh, that we're, we're having a little family talk today, all right? I want you to come t- uh, today, and then next week is kind of two sides of the same coin, uh, but I want to talk to our church specifically about some things in my heart and some things that are happening right now. About a month ago... Um, I just felt really challenged by God to turn up the level of prayer in my own life. Um, I pray, you know, um, I, I mean, I pray, you know, regularly and, you know, I have a habit of prayer. But I just really felt convicted from God uh, that instead of having a real habit of prayer, I have, a habit of, I have a habit that when I'm in a problem or when I'm in a situation, I try to fix it and figure it out on my own. And prayer is almost something that I do at the end. Or maybe I try to kind of pepper prayer through some things that I'm trying to do. I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but I just really felt convicted that God was saying, you know what, Mark, you're, you're walking through some things. Church is walking through some things. The culture that you live in is walking through some things that you just cannot navigate unless you turn up the volume of prayer in your life. And so I just really uh, tried to turn up the volume of prayer, just tried to really seek God. And what would it look like just to, just to uh, get more intense in things of prayer and, and specifically praying for a revival, praying for renewal, praying for awakening in my own life and, and in our church. And if you come to the, to the midweek on Wednesday nights... Every Wednesday about 6.30, we have a very small Bible study uh, right here. Uh, when I say very small, I think the most that we've had is maybe 12. And so, uh, so it's usually less than that. It's usually about eight or nine people just here on a Wednesday night. And uh, we'll do a Bible study. And about a month and a half ago, uh, just as this started happening in me, uh, I just said, you know what, I'm going to take this small group and we're going to start talking about revival. And so I just started talking about, we, talking about, we, we started talking about there's been a group of us uh, about six, seven, or eight of us, about the past month and a half in our church, we've been talking about and praying uh, for revival, for renewal, for, re- for awakening, for God just to do something significant in our church. And, and, and I didn't tell anybody that. We didn't really talk about it. We just kind of kept it just between us as a, a midweek group. You know, I talked to Elena about what I thought God was doing in my life, and, and that was really it. We never said anything about it. But our prayer was, God, would you just make our church desperate for you? That, that's been our prayer. That, that's my prayer, uh, even right now. And, and, and I don't know if you've paid attention. Hopefully you pay attention to what goes on here. Uh, three, in the past three weeks, uh, in our services, uh, God has really just moved in some unplanned, significant ways. Uh, the past three Sundays at various points of the service, in both services, 9.30, 11.15, the altars have been full. Uh, two Sundays ago, just in an unplanned way in both services, in a really unique way. Uh, man, the presence of God just came in our church and just put people on their knees right up here in the altar and right at their chairs. And, 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 and Megan, I believe that it was, was up here on stage and she was asking our church, church, we need to pray that God would make us desperate for Him. And, 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 and not just here on stage, but more and more in conversations the past four weeks, five weeks, I, I, I have people talk to me about a hunger for God, a desperation for God. I, I could hear people that Sunday just 
asking God to forgive them, not just of sin, but of specific sin. And that Sunday, I don't know if you noticed, I saw it. When church was over, people were confessing sin to each other in the lobby out here on that Sunday. And, and God was just moving, and, and, and I can hear it in conversations that, that, Mark, I think that God is waking something up in our church. Mark, I think that God is waking something up in me. And, and so I just wanted to stop what we were doing for a second and, and, and maybe lean into this moment to what I think that God might be doing. And, 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 and on Mondays, we, we have staff meeting, and our staff meetings lately, more and more on Mondays, there's been a conversation about how our church, what we need more than anything, is the power of God at work in our church. And what we need more than anything is the, is the presence of God in our church. And listen, can I just tell you that, that pastors talk to one another and this is not just a summit conversation. Conversations that I've had with other church pastors recently, right here in this community, is things that we've done forever that we could just bank on our people jumping in on. We could bank on people coming to. Things that used to work don't work anymore. People are coming less. I don't know what's going on, but I'm hearing this from pastors in our community. Our church needs the presence of God or I don't know what's going to happen. So it's not a summit thing, it, it, it's, a, it's a church thing. And I, and I just really believe, I texted this to John, I said, this is what I think I'm going to do Sunday and then follow it up next Sunday. I really believe that what God is calling me to pray for and our church to pray for in this season and, and in the days ahead, I really believe that God is calling our church to pray for a real spiritual awakening in our region and in this church in our time. I think that God is calling us to pray for that. And, and I think that the way that happens when you look at spiritual awakenings, revivals, renewals, there's really two things that spark it. One, we're going to talk about today is a hunger for God. Next week, we're going to talk about the other side of that coin is brokenness over our own sin. Uh, it's easy to see the sins in other people, uh, but next week we're going to talk. We're going to air out our own dirty laundry, and we're going to deal with it. Revival starts with hunger for God. And brokenness over our own sin. Uh, you, you, you probably know this uh, before. You've probably heard that in the history of America, there have been two great awakenings. You've heard of this, right? There, there, there have been other pockets of revival, but in the history of America, two great awakenings. The, the first one is uniquely called the first great awakening. So I don't know who the naming committee was. And, and then when the second one hit, they said, you know what? It worked for the first one. So the second one is called, what do you think? The second great awakening. And, and, and so, so the reason that those two rise to the surface is because those two, those two great awakenings, you can study them. I mean, Cassidy, uh, freshman in high school, Cassidy's talking about these in U.S. history. Uh, she talked to me about what they were learning and studying with it a couple of weeks ago. But when you look at those uh, two great awakenings in America, the reason they get so much attention still today is because a prolonged period of time, Thousands of people had some kind of religious experience, what they teach in schools. Thousands of people give their life to Jesus and literally changes entire cities. So I just want to do a quick history lesson on the Second Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening changed America. It changed the America at that time, New York and, and the eastern part of the United States. Do you know where it started? I hoped you would do that. Let me tell you where it started. The Second Great Awakening started two hours away from here in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. In Paris, Kentucky, it's a place in Paris. You can get in your car. You can literally drive there. You'll be there uh, just after we start maybe uh, the 1130, 11.15 service or before lunchtime. It's barely two hours away from here. The Second Great Awakening was from 1801 to 1820, and it started 
in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. A group of uh, churches got together for what at that time, and you still hear this language today, they called it a camp meeting. A camp meeting was a revival. They just said, we need God to move. And so they scheduled a week-long revival camp meeting in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. You can get on Google right now. It'll show you the Cane Ridge house. And, and that house was kind of uh, where a lot of people stayed. And it was just around. The, it was, it's literally in the woods. There is nothing there. But still to this day, if you drive there, there's a sign marker for a historical event that happened right here. At the Cane Ridge Revival is what it's called. The population of Bourbon County in 1801 was 12,000. Think about this for a moment. When the Cane Ridge Revival started, it was just supposed to, it was a, it was a week-long event. That's all it was, was literally one week. Word spread. It was, they, they, they didn't anticipate that much of a, that big of a crowd. But word spread because the presence of God fell at Cane Ridge in such a powerful way. It was going to be a week long, so the weekend and all through the following week. Two days into it, on the Monday of the Cane Ridge Revival, the population of Bourbon County was 12,000. There were over 25,000 people at Cane Ridge. And they didn't spread that word on Facebook, right? They're not, they're not texting each other. They're not snap. There was no filter on Snapchat for the Cane Ridge Revival. Man, the Spirit of God was just drawing people. An eyewitness of the Cane Ridge Revival said that he could see people on their knees before God for at least a half a mile. Think about it. A historian at Vanderbilt University, I think we got a picture here of it, a, drawers, a drawing interpretation of what the Cane Ridge Revival looked like. A historian at Vanderbilt University uh, said this about the Cane Ridge uh, Revival. He says this quote here, look at this quote, it says, Arguably, it was the most important religious gathering in all of American history. It, igni it ignited the explosion of evangelical religion, which soon reached into nearly every corner of American life. Watch this. For decades, the prayers of camp meetings and revivals across the land was, Lord, make it like Cane Ridge, two hours away in Paris, Kentucky. And you got to dig a little deeper to see how it started. So before the Cane Ridge revival started in, 18, in 1801, now don't think, this is what a lot of people think, don't think, oh, well, you know what, 1800s, it was more moral then. People were really open to Jesus then. Christianity was probably more widespread and accepted then than it is now. Actually, the opposite is true. Christianity was on the decline. As people settled in the new lands in, the Amer in, in America, they were building all kinds of things except for churches. The interest in the things of God was at an all-time low, so much so that the Presbyterian Assembly in Paris called for a called for prayer and fasting because here's what they said they said think about this 1800 we need god to deliver us from the egyptian darkness that has plagued our land and so they they started to pray they prayed for months god send the spirit god pour the presence out they repented of their sin when Cain Ridge started, you can read about it on Google, but you need to know that before whatever you read about on Google, there were a group of men and women who were on their knees and on their faces, desperate for the presence of God to fall on their land. I wonder what they'd say about us in 2019. I wonder what they would say about Eastern Kentucky in 2019. If they're talking about Egyptian darkness in 1801. I wonder what they'd say in 2019. Here's the deal. Listen, when you look on paper at the state of Christianity in, uh, in America, in the western part of the world where we are, things don't look good. 
Things don't look good when you look on paper right now. Right now, articles that I read, things that I see say that more people are leaving the church than they've ever uh, than, than we've ever seen. That that we that the upcoming generations are the most godless generations uh, in in history because they have little to no religious affiliation. Uh, the census. The, the census right here in America, the, uh, the group, uh, the religious affiliation that's on the rise according to census data, it's not Christianity, it's not Islam, it's nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E. No, we don't have any religion. Our grandparents did and our parents did, but we don't, we don't care about that stuff. We, we've advanced, we've moved on. That's the fastest growing religious affiliation right now in America. Things don't look good when you look on paper and the church is wringing its hands saying, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And I wonder if the one person who's not wringing his hands this morning is God. Hello? I wonder if the one person who's not wringing his hands is God. In fact, here's what I wonder, and I'm convinced, I think this is what God is doing, at least right here in America and in the West. I wonder if God is putting the church in a position where the only thing we have to bank on, the only thing we, where God is putting us in a place where all we have is the presence and power of God. And if we try to bank on anything else, we are just fighting a losing battle. And so God is setting up the church in America, making us hungry for him, desperate for him, because we've tried everything else, and it's got us to where we are today. Can I just tell you, when you look out at the world and you think, oh my gosh, it's dark, everybody's walking away from God, look at me. We've been here before. We've been here before. Listen, the great awakenings and movements of God all through history, they didn't come when life was easy and nothing was on the line. Every single movement of God is birthed out of desperation. Every movement of God is birthed out of desperation. When God drove the, the, the Israelites out of Egypt, they were desperate. They cried out for somebody to rescue them. Jesus did not come into the world. Christmas is coming. Jesus did not come into the world in a time of revival. The Bible says that people love darkness more than they did light. The book of Acts, the church wasn't started in a day when everybody worshipped Jesus. No, the book of Acts, the church was started in a day of religious pluralism when they worshipped everything but Jesus. It, and it was a small group of people in the upper room and the presence of God fell, the Spirit of God filled those people and the world has never been the same. Movements of God are birthed out of desperation. Not just corporately, but personally. And so I want us to see that today. I want us to see a moment of renewal and revival in one person's life, in the life of David. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it up to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. So go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in the first eight verses uh, here of Psalm 63. This is David. David just has kind of set this up. David is on the run. We don't know if he's on the run from Saul or we don't know if he's on the run from his own son Absalom because David has both of those moments where people are trying to pursue him and take his life. Either way, David's on the run. He's in the desert. It's a dry and weary land. Physically, he th he's thirsty. Spiritually, He's thirsty. So let's look. Psalm 63. We're going to be first eight verses. Watch this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I love this. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. I love this. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I just want to do something real simple this morning. I just want to ask two questions. I just want to ask, what's David hungry for and what's his hunger cause him to do? That's all I want to do today and then you're done. All right. What's David hungry for and what's that hunger cause him to do? Let's do it right here. What's he hungry for? Well, he actually tells us right here in in the passage. Look at verse 1 again. Look at verse 1. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for who? You, four times in one verse. Four times in one verse, David said, God, I'm hungry for you. I'm I'm thirsty for you. David is hungry for the presence of God. David doesn't want anything from God. David wants God himself. Listen to me. There is nothing wrong with bringing your requests to God. You ought to do that. You, You ought to bring your requests. You ought to bring your needs to God. But think about this. Think about the closest relationships in your life. I know you're thinking about your kids, maybe your husband, your wife, your, you know, your uh, best friend. I don't know. Think about the closest relationships in your life. What if they didn't want to? What if they didn't ever want to hang out with you? What if they didn't want to spend time with you? They just wanted things from you. Think about that for a moment, right? Sometimes I feel like that way as a dad. All y'all do is want something from me, right? Nobody ever just wants to hang out with me. I'm a pretty good guy. You know what I'm saying? Right? Think about that. Closest relationships in your life. They they never want to hang out with you. They just want things from you. That's a pretty shallow relationship, isn't it? Right? Because here's the thing. The closest relationships in your life, yeah, I mean, yeah, they give you things. Yes, we give things to people. But the closest relationships in your life, the best part about those relationships is presence, isn't it? It's presence. It's that, it's that you're with them. You get them. Listen, if that's true for people, how much more is that true for God? Right? In the beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, listen, listen, the Garden of Eden was amazing. They had everything they ever wanted. There was no sin, right? Apparently, they were walking around naked all the time, right? That's crazy to think about. I I mean, the Garden of Eden is an amazing place. You know what the best part was of the Garden of Eden? The presence of God. That they literally walked with God. That they were in God's presence. That the best part was they were with God. God. In Revelation 22, the Bible ends. New heavens and new earth. And a lot of times when we talk about, you know, eternity and all that, we talk about, you know, are we going to know people in heaven? Are we going to see people that we know in heaven? We can't get, wait to get reunited with friends and loved ones there in eternity. And listen, listen, that's going to happen. We're not just going to know friends and loved ones. We're going to know everybody there. But Revelation 22, the best part of eternity, Revelation 22 says that we are with God and God is with us. The best part is presence. Listen, the Bible always talks this way. The Bible always talks that the best thing about God is God, period. That God 
is the treasure. That, that the best thing about God is the presence of God. In Exodus 33, don't put this verse up here. Yeah, take it off there. Take it off if we can. There we go. I, I want to kind of build up to it, all right? I love this passage. I love Exodus 33. This is after the golden calf. You know, incident, you know, Moses, you know, Charlton Heston gets the Ten Commandments, comes down, there's a golden calf, and freaks out, breaks it. And Exodus 33, God says, listen, listen, Charlton Heston, you can take these people to the promised land, and I'm going to drive out all your enemies, and I'm going to make sure you get all the food that you want that you'll ever need, but I'm not going with you guys. You can go to the promised land. It'll be the best thing you've ever known, but I'm, I'm, man, I'm not going to go. Stop right there for a minute. Think about that. Jesus Christ comes to you and says, listen, you can go to heaven and everybody that you've ever met and loved in your life will be there. It will be the best thing that you've ever experienced. It'll be everything that you've ever wanted, but I'm not going. Would you go? What would you say? I love what Moses says, Exodus 33, 15. Look at it. God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Listen, God, if, you're pre- listen, if you take us there and we got everything we ever wanted, but you're not going to go, I'm not going. I would rather stay right in the desert where there is no food, where there is no water, because I got you right here, then go into the promised land and have everything and miss you. The Bible always talks this way. These are just verses that I thought of really quick. Go to the next one. Look at this. Look, these are just verses that I thought of really fast. And this not all of them, not even by a long shot. Psalm 42, 2, I thirst for the living God. 84, 2, I long and yearn for the courts. My flesh cries out for the living God. John 4, 34, this is Jesus. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Philippians 3, 8, I consider everything to be a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. And listen, we can go on and on for days about how the Bible talks this way, Summit. Listen, sometimes people ask me, Mark, if I give my life to Jesus, what will I get? And here's what you get. You get Jesus. You get Jesus if you give your life to Jesus. And listen, Jesus has peace and he has joy and, and he has the promise that, that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you and the promise of eternity. But can I tell you, the best part of giving your life to Jesus is that you get Jesus. It's, it's the presence of God. David is just hungry and thirsty for the presence of God. He just wants more of God. And listen, this is the normal response. The normal response to meeting God is hunger for more of him. The normal response to meeting God is more hunger for more of God. But here's the deal. In the church today... In the church today, it seems like we flipped that and saved what we're talking about for like varsity level Christianity. I'm just interested in going to heaven when I die. I don't want all this stuff. Well, we've taken what is normal biblically and made it abnormal in the culture of the, the world that we live in today. And I just want to know how in the world did we get here? How in the world did we get here to a place where hunger and thirst for God is the exception? And not the norm. When it's the norm in Scripture, how, how do we get here? I think there's probably a lot of answers. Let me give you two. I think the first reason, the first way we got here, I think one of the biggest threats to hunger for God is distraction. One of the biggest threats to hunger for God is distraction. So we're talking about hunger for God, thirst for God. Our souls cry out for the living God. But did you see what so-and-so put on Facebook? Oh, my gosh. And we just scroll our thirst away. We just thumb through social media. Listen, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I ain't talking to nobody but me. 
all right? But we just scroll our way out of thirst and hunger. We're distracted by social media, our phones, fantasies that we have on the inside, what our friends might be up to. We're, we're distracted by all kinds of little things. Our families are involved in 3,072 activities every single week. Hello? Right? And we're just going and going and going. And we're saying, well, this is normal. This is what everybody does. Well, you know what? Everybody seems to be stressed out and burned out. I don't think normal is working for anybody. Here's the thing. David's soul, ask yourself, ask yourself this. David's soul is thirsty. Would you know what that feels like? That your soul is thirsty. Listen, you might think that this is just some preacher talk. You might think this is crazy. You might think, come on, man, it's 2019. You need to get with the times. But can I just tell you, can I just tell listen, if you think I'm crazy, if you think this is outdated, stupid, here's my question back to us this morning. Why is it that we as human beings, we just put all kinds of meaning and purpose and value and we find our identity in things like work, in things like, in things like our performance or our kids' athletic or academic performance, what our friends are doing online, how many likes we get online, and we put all of this meaning and purpose and worth on these things. We're constantly trying to give our lives identity. We're constantly trying to find value in things. Listen to me. Do you know what that is? That is your soul. And I love what Augustine says. Augustine said this, our soul is restless until it finds its rest in you. I love this quote. I think it's on the screens from a guy named Ronald Rollheiser. I love that last name. He says this, look at this. He says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life that they, provide, they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Does that hurt anybody the way it does me? Right? I just want to go and crawl in a hole and stay there for a while after reading that. Right? So here's the thing. One is, why are we not hungry for God? We're distracted. But I think the second one might be worse. Or the second one might come from distraction. The second biggest threat to hunger for God is apathy. You know what that means? It means I just don't care. It means I'm indifferent. It means I don't literally feel anything. So I'm talking about this this morning, and I'm checking my watch, and I really don't care. Maybe I used to care, but in this current moment, I just don't. I'm apathetic towards the things of God. And listen, that makes sense. It makes sense that we're apathetic towards the things of God because in just a moment when this service leaves, we're going to be inundated for the next seven days with messages that tell us when it comes to the things of God, they, one, are not real, and two, if they are, they don't matter much. Does that make sense? One, they're not real, and two, if they are, they don't matter much because Jesus died, you're going to heaven. Isn't that what it's all about? And I just want to say, no, it's not. But as much as we can try to push this down and, and uh, indifference, it doesn't matter. Something inside of us knows that this matters. Something inside of us knows that this matters. I had a member of our church 
uh, email me an article about why millennials, why young people are walking away from church. It's in the Washington Post, and I don't think that the author of it is a Christian. Uh, but they're talking about how, how young people, the younger generations, uh, just seem to be apathetic. They don't care about the things of God. So it's just more people are walking away from church. You know, there's the typical uh, really encouraging articles that I read on a regular basis. And, but, but this person says this. This is the last line of the article, and I don't even know if they're saved, but watch this. Everybody's walking away from church and trying to ignore spiritual things, but then the author of it says this. What happens when sleeping, working, and gaming more than our elders begins to make less sense? If we're closing the church doors behind us, we'll have to find somewhere else to tend to our spirits and our hearts. Do you hear that? If we just walk away from God and if we walk away from church, there is still a hunger inside of us. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you hungry? Uh, is your soul hungry this morning? And, and, and if you say yes, then what will you do with that hunger? That's the next question that we want to ask. What's David hungry for? David is hungry just for God, just for the presence of God. I miss him. I want to be with him again. I want to know what it's like to walk with him again and just to experience more of him. So what does David do with this hunger? What does this hunger cause him to do? Because hunger always causes you to do something, doesn't it? I mean, if you're hungry, I don't know about you, maybe, maybe you get hungry at home and you just start walking around your kitchen. You know what I mean? You just start prowling around, opening up the cabinets, looking around. You know, maybe you're hungry, you get in the car, drive to a restaurant. Maybe you're hungry, you don't have resources to do anything, so you try to find something that can take care of that hunger. Whether you're hungry for food or whatever you're hungry for, hunger always causes you to do something, doesn't it? Well, what does David's hunger cause him to do? Look at what it says here. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've looked upon you, and he just goes on and on and on. David's hunger for God causes him to cry out to God. So what that means is this. Summit, this is a prayer. David doesn't feel God at all. I mean, it feels like God is a million miles away. He remembers the time when he used to be passionate for the things of God, deeply in love with walking with God, and used to tell people about how God was the one true king. And now David is in a desert spiritually, and he just remembers what it was like for God. He is hungry for God, and so what does he do? He prays. Prayer is the language of hunger for God. What do I do when I'm hungry for God? You pray. I don't feel God. That's the best time to pray. Amen? Man, the moment you don't feel him, the moment you feel like he up and left your life, the moment you feel like God is a million miles away from you, what's happening? Maybe God is creating hunger in your soul. I think that that's why God, sometimes you can walk with God, you ain't even, you know, you, you try to see, have I sinned, did something happen? You ever been at a place in following Jesus where it just seems like, man, your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing off, your spiritual life is dry, and you, you're trying to search your heart, did I do anything? What happened? And you can't really find anything. You know what? I think a lot of those times, it isn't so much that we've got a specific sin in our lives. I think that a lot of those times, God just kind of steps back a little bit to create hunger in our souls. Man, I miss him. Man, I remember what it was like. Prayer is the language of hunger for God. Some of you are thinking this. Mark, listen, I can't pray. I don't know what to say uh, when I pray. Mark, there's no way I can pray like David. And can I just say to you, I just want to say this humbly. If you're saying, Mark, listen, David, oh, there's no way I can pray like David. I just want to say this. Do you know David? 
Like, do you know the dude's story? Do you know who David is? Next week, we're going to be in Psalm 51. David talking about David getting broken for his sin. David has an affair and has the woman's husband killed. All right? I don't know how your week went. I don't know what you did this week. All right? But here, listen, here's a guy who's done some stuff. I can't pray like David. Listen, David is in a mess. David has got sin in his own life he's going to need to deal with. But David's prayer causes him to cry out to God. Listen to me. Did you know that right now Jesus Christ is interceding at the right hand of God for you? Did you know that? What's Jesus doing in heaven? Praying for you. Praying for you. Sometimes people ask me, Mark, what happens when I pray? Here's my honest answer. I have no idea what happens when we pray. And here's why I have no idea what happens when we pray. Because Jesus is interceding for us. Romans chapter 8 says that every single time you pray, the Spirit of God takes your words and takes your words, intercedes and takes your words and intercedes with groanings too deep for words we can't even understand. The Bible says that God has so bound up what he does in the world with our prayers that we can't tell where one ends and one begins. What happens when we pray? I have no idea, but it's way more than any of us can ever ask or imagine. But I can tell you exactly what happens when we don't pray. Nothing. You do not have, because you might know, that's just simple Bible. That's just simple Bible. You do not have, because you don't ask. What happens when we pray? I don't know, but I can tell you the entire Godhead of the Trinity is leaning in when any child of God goes to the throne of grace. What happens when we don't pray? Nothing. And you can complain about it, and you can hope that Frankfurt fixes it. You can hope that Washington fixes it. But I can tell you this, if you complain about it and we say somebody ought to do something, we have a direct connection to the God of the universe. And we say things like this, and we think it's really humble. Well, I don't want to bother God with my request. I don't want to bother God with my life. God's in heaven saying, no, bother me. I want you to bother me. I want you to come to me with everything that you have. Here's the thing. I think that God wants to turn the volume up of prayer in this church. I think that God wants to turn the volume up of prayer in this church. And here's the thing. You are going to hear me beat this drum until it is so annoying. And it's at that moment that I think we'll start to pray. Right? So you need to know, oh man, Mark's about to get on my last nerve with this, isn't he? I'm about to be like the rash you can't get rid of with this. I was praying a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't written anything down this morning, would you write down this down? I was praying about three weeks ago, and I really felt like God put something on my heart specifically for our church. I think that God told me two things for our church. Here's the first one. Number one, Whatever happens here in this church, whatever happens here, it will be through prayer or it will not be at all. That's it. Whatever happens from this point forward at Summit Community Church, it will happen through prayer or it is not going to happen. Period. End of discussion. It will happen through prayer or it will not be at all. And I think this is the second thing, that we need to prioritize the presence of God and whatever is in the way of presence must go. And listen to me, listen, look, look at me. When I say whatever is in the way of presence must go, yeah, there's probably external things that I think that God is talking about, but I think that God is really focused on internal things. Does that make sense? Things in me, things in us, sin we need to deal with. We're going to talk about it 
next week. But, but whatever happens here, it will be through prayer or it won't be at all. And two, we need to prioritize the presence of God and whatever is in the way of presence must go. Summit, let's just think about it. What else do we have other than those two things? Prayer and presence. Can I just tell you, that is all we actually, really, honestly have. And that's all we need is prayer and presence. Amen? Here's the deal, and then we're done. I'm going to ask you to do something. I think this whole thing comes down to how bad do you want it. I think the whole thing this morning, I think the whole thing comes down, down to how bad do you want it. How bad do you want what? How bad do you want God to move in your family? How bad do you want God to move in your kids? How bad do you want God to move in your life? How bad do you want God to move in this region? Listen, the things that are happening in our community, there isn't a church around here that's going to program our way out of this. Amen? Listen, and I know all the pastors, and they'd say this, and they'd amen this, they'd say this if they had the microphone this morning. There isn't a pastor around, who, around, who, who, around here who has strong enough sermons on their own to break down the strongholds and powers and principalities of the armies of darkness that Satan is trying to fill up in this community. I know I don't, right? This is a spiritual battle, and we use weapons not of human means. Our weapons are prayer, and we are praying for the presence of God to send a revival and a renewal into our region. Because what else are we going to do? What else do we have? I think it all comes down to how hungry are you? Now, here's the deal. You might be here today, and you're thinking, Mark, listen, I'm not hungry at all. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. Can I tell you, a good, can I tell you some good news? We have a God in heaven who can create hunger. If God can speak creation out of darkness then God can create hunger in the hardest heart here in this room today. But here's the deal. you got to ask for it. you got to ask for hunger. Maybe you're here today and, and, and God is, is convicting you that you need to prioritize the presence of God in your life today. Or you might be here today and this is just ringing bells on the inside of you. Maybe you're one of those people God's already been moving, moving on the inside of you this morning or before even this morning saying, man, I want to be more hungry for the things of God. I want to see our church wake up to the presence and power of God this morning. If you come to the midweek, I've been saying this for the past month and a half, and I'm going to say it again, both services end this way. Here's the deal. When you study the history of revival, revival usually starts with one or two hungry people. So you can be here today, and you can think, this is the weirdest sermon I've ever heard in my life. It's not the sermon that I needed today. Is church almost over? I got to get a table at the restaurant, man. We got to go. Oh, are you done yet? Here's the deal. Everybody doesn't have to be hungry. But I'm praying for one person in here to be so hungry that they will ask and seek and knock until heaven opens and the Spirit of God pours out in this region in ways that we have never dreamed. Are you that person? I'm not, but I want to be. I'll tell you the good news. God can create hunger where there isn't any. But you've got to ask for it first. So I'm going to pray. And whether you're hungry or if you're not, but you want to be, I'm going to pray and I'm going to get on my knees here. And I'm just going to ask God to pour himself out. And if that's you today, if you want to join me in that, I just want to invite you to get up out of your seat, to come up here. You can kneel. You can stand. 
But I want to ask our church, challenge our church, let's begin today to cry out, God, if you are looking for a people to be hungry, here we are. If you are looking for a people to be thirsty, here we are. Here, here we are today. Not perfect, but available. Would you pray with me today? Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Jesus, I pray that right now you would come and move in our church in ways, God, that we've never seen, we've never experienced. But Father, I am praying for hunger today. I am praying for thirst today. And so, God, I pray that right now, just during this time of response, God, people are already moving. I pray, God, that the whole church, Jesus, just if, if you are speaking to hearts, God, that you would cause us as a church to either come up here or even just make our chairs an altar, but to say, God, make us hungry for you. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You just come right now if that's you. You just come right on right now. People are already up here. And if you just want to even stand up and make your chair an altar, kneel right there. You just come, but you come right now. If you want to come and cry out for hunger for God, I am asking you just to come. How desperate are you to, move, to see God move in your kids? How desperate are you to see God move in your life? How desperate are you to see God move in your marriage? How desperate are you to see God move in our community to break the chains of addiction, to break apathy for the things of God? How desperate are you to see God bring back a generation? We're just letting a generation go their own way, the ways of the world. And what if we just said, God, not on our watch. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to seek the things of God. I'm going to begin to fast. What if we did that? So I'm just asking you, if that's you today, you can get up as people are coming. You can kneel right there at your seat. But let's just ask God, God, if you are looking for a people to be hungry, here we are. God, here we are. Just cry out to God today. Just cry out. Just lift your voice. Just pray and ask Jesus. Jesus, just make that hunger so real in my life. We just take a moment, this time of response, and let's just ask God, God, make us hungry. You might be here today and you're thinking about your kids and your kids are not hungry. God, make them hungry. Your spouse isn't hungry. Their spouse not, might not even be saved. God, would you just wake up something in them that's not even there right now? Your school's not hungry. You where, where you work, it's not hungry. God, would you just wake up in them a hunger they've never known before? Jesus, if you are looking for somebody, for a group of people to be hungry, here we are. Let's just let God speak to us and let's just pour our hearts out to God in this moment and pray for hunger. And right here today, just as people continue to pray, we're just going to stay right here in this moment and, let, and give God all the time that it takes. But if you are here today, and just in a moment of honesty, you'd say, Mark, I'm not hungry, but I want to be. Maybe you used to be and something happened got distracted I don't know what it might have been but but if you're here today say Mark and you're saying Mark I'm not hungry but I want to be hungry for God would you pray for me if that's you just put your hand up right now anybody in the room say I want to be hungry today I'm not hungry but I'm asking God to create a new hunger and hands are going up all over all over just anybody else just God I'm hungry listen if you've got your hand up right now just say that to him God I'm not hungry but I want to be God, I'm not thirsty, but I want to be. I remember what it was like to be thirsty. I remember what it was like to be so hungry, and you would satisfy that hunger. And 
And maybe we started to go somewhere else. Maybe we started to look somewhere else. But God, I'm just not hungry, but I want to be. And listen, can I tell you, if that's you, just continue to pray that prayer every single day until, until hunger is awakened in your heart. Just pray that prayer every day till hunger wakes up inside of you. Or you might be here today and you say, Mark, listen, when you were talking about being distracted, when you were talking about being apathetic, that's me. And I need prayer this morning. If that's you, just put your hand up this morning so I can pray for you. Distracted, feel like I've lost care, hands are going up right over here. Amen. Thank you for that honesty. Anybody else? There's another hand. There's one right there. God bless you for that honesty. Thank you. Thank you. They're in the back. Amen. There's another one. God, make us hungry. Father, we are praying for for a renewal in our community. We are praying for revival in our community. Jesus, if it can happen at Cane Ridge, with, with, with a smaller group than this, just a smaller group than this getting together because they're just hungry for you. They're just sick and tired of seeing their community walk away from you. And Jesus, they said, somebody's got to do something. Let's pray. Smaller group than this. So Jesus, let the revival start with us. Let the renewal start with us. Jesus, you said if my people who call out my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then you will pour yourself out in ways that we have never known. But the hinge is us turning from our sins. The hinge is us turning away from things that have distracted, made us apathetic. God, I have no idea what needs to happen after today. But whatever it is, would you give us the courage to do it? Would you give us the self-control to do it? And Jesus, when we fail, would you bring us back? Because Jesus, our souls are hungry and the world is not satisfying it. The world just cannot satisfy a hungry soul. Father, we love you. God, you are our God, and earnestly we seek you. Make us a church that earnestly seeks you, that is thirsty for you, that like in a dry and weary land where there is no water, Father, we are desperate and hungry for you. Make us that kind of church. I cannot. A person cannot. So Spirit, come. Spirit, come in power, come in presence, come in ways that we've never known. Just come. God, our deepest desire and need is you. Father, we love you. And we love you because you loved us first. Jesus, I believe that you're starting something in our church. And, and what you have started by the Spirit cannot be finished by the flesh. So what you have started by the Spirit, Spirit, carry it out. Bring it to full fruition. Let us see it. Let us touch it. Let us taste it. Let us write about it for generations. To see and to read. And not for our glory. Not for the name of any single person in this place. Not for the name of this church. God, that it would all be forgotten. 
but for the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. Jesus, your kingdom come in hazard as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.